Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. Today we're joined by Lee Taft who shares with us what he's learned in his 30 years of developing athletes. As basketball coaches, when it comes to defensive stance, lateral movements, speed and agility, how do we know if what we're teaching is helping or hurting? Known as the speed guy, Lee Taft shares with coaches how to make sure you're on the right track. Before we start, a quick word from Manawata. Coach, do you send your players to PGC camps year after year? Or do you plan to send players to PGC this summer? If so, we want to invite you to join our PGC Partner Program so your players can benefit from discounts and so you can have the opportunity to attend any one of our summer or fall camps free of charge. Just go to pgcpartner.com to get all the details and sign up today. That's pgcpartner.com and sign up today. We look forward to having you with us as a part of our PGC Partner Program. Coaches, welcome to the Hardwood Hustle. You're going to be a better coach for listening today. This is a uh, good friend of Sam and I's and uh, really introduced for the first time from uh, NBA, WNBA coach when they said, hey, there's this guy who's world class and he teaches speed, agility, athleticism better than anybody I've seen before. And I said, really, who is it? And uh, he said, Lee Taff, the speed guy. He's known around the world as the speed guy. And uh, many times after that, our paths crossed uh, at PGC session. Also hired Lee to come down to work with my college basketball team. And in my 20 years of coaching, I've never seen light bulbs go off with athletes the way they did when Lee Taff worked with my athletes. And so we are super excited uh, to have Lee on the episode today. He's going to make you a better coach and and, uh, help you to make better athletes. So Lee, welcome. Thank you so much, TJ, Sam, Lisa, everyone. I really appreciate this. This is awesome. And I appreciate the the kind words. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, much like you, I grew up in a coaching family. Um, uh, you know, from a young age, our dinner table talks were about breaking down defenses versus <laughs> versus what's going on in school or whatever. And so it was just always a passion of mine. And my family was in fitness. My dad was a big uh you know, kind of fitness type guy. And, uh, you know, so I just ran with it. It was something, you know, I was naturally good at, right. You know, if I was a 260 pound guy, you'd probably be talking about bench pressing right now, but because I wasn't and I'm not, I talk more about speed. And, uh, for the last, you know, over three decades now, it's been a passion of mine. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, and a, a passion you've done, a world-class, you know, from NBA to NFL to people all over the world, colleges calling on this. This is, you know, Lee, you're, you're a really humble guy, but uh, our friend Sefu uh, one time described to me is um, this is where the best teachers go to learn is from Lee Taft. Like, he's the guy uh, where I appreciate the that. around the world go to actually get better at their craft. So the ones that are teaching world-class athletes are coming to you to learn. And so, you know, first of all, kudos on becoming great at a craft. It's never easy to do something like that and use decades of investment of time and, and energy. And, uh, and, and you do it with great passion. And I got to see that firsthand, like I said, with my athletes, well, let's, let's dive in here, Lee. So just, if you could tell us, where do you start from? Like, you know, I think a lot of coaches get overwhelmed with this because we might know our sport. We might know how to coach basketball here and there, but we get frustrated. One of my frustrations was I wanted us to sit better defensively. I wanted us to move. I wanted us to be able to guard the ball better. I want, you know, but as a coach, like I'm not, I'm not trained in that stuff. You know, I can maybe help them with angles a little bit and some things like that, but, 
I don't know how to actually make their hips turn faster. I don't know how to, to, to give them the tools, which athletes love. They want to be better players. So what is the first thing you do? Like, what's the, I don't even know where to start. What's the question you ask yourself? Like, how do you go on this journey to being a better coach that can help to make better athletes? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And, and uh, so one of the first things you have to do is you got to give yourself permission to fail as a coach, because when you do that, you're not afraid to pull the trigger. And if you're afraid to pull the trigger, you know, in clutch time and a, in a, in a, during a timeout, a lot of times you're not going to get great success in the game of basketball. Right. Well, same thing as a performance coach. I have to be OK with making a mistake, uh, as long as it's a calculated, you know, I'm not doing anything dangerous, but if I, you know, if I choose a, tip, a typical drill or whatever, and, and it just doesn't get the results I want, I have to be okay with that and then learn and then move on. So once we do that, we kind of, it kind of knocks the wall down of this fear of, I just don't know what to do. Well, one of the first things, and this is how I learned is watch the best players move because the best players usually have the model of which guys like me build our systems around. So if I look at how, you know, Michael Jordan's gotten his stance and how he moved and then, you know, Gary Payton and, and you know, number of athletes we could go through regardless of the sport. What are the best doing? And I just watched them and I'm thinking, OK, well, they, you know, they really didn't sit as low as my coach made me sit. And I wonder why. And then I started to learn a little bit about, well, gee, if I pick up a heavier weight, it's a lot easier if I don't have to bend down as far because I'm stronger when my legs are a little bit straighter. So then I said, geez, I wonder if that works with movement, too. And then what I realized is. The fastest athletes in the world, which are sprinters, don't squat down when they run. They stay very tall. So when their leg hits the ground, it's very elastic. Well, how can I use that for defense? How can I move laterally? Because I can't stay completely tall. I have to bend my knees a little bit. But uh, I realize, all right, well, when I change directions and I plant my leg, my leg is actually fairly straight. <laughs> so what happens is... By studying it and watching it, just like basketball coaches are used to watching film. That's something they're very good at. I did the same thing on the movement side. I just I shut my mouth and I just watched and I said, oh, my gosh, that's that wasn't what I was taught. And that's not what, you know, this player does. And you know what? My seventh grader does the same thing as Michael Jordan did. Even though they don't do it as fast, they basically do the same thing. So that got me thinking, all right, this nervous system thing we have keeps dropping clues. I just have to be willing to pick them up. I got to pick these clues up, run with it and kind of figure out, you know, what does it mean when an athlete gets in a stance and they don't bend their knees as much, but yet they're really quick. And then that's how we get into the science of it, which we don't have to go there. But that's really how I started. And this was back in the 80s when I was a college player. I started watching film of how I moved when I guarded someone and then how somebody guarded me. And I'm thinking, that's not the same thing my coach told me to do. And I haven't done it at all, nor has the other opponent. They're not doing that. Their feet are actually doing something different. And that led me down the path to discovery. I wanted to know more. So really, that's how it happened. And that's how coaches just watch, see what the best athletes are doing, and then start just implementing it. Even if you don't know what it means, do what the best are doing, and you'll find that the athletes will get better. And then you can start to learn and dive deeper if you choose to. Yeah, Sam's got a follow-up question for you. But one of the things that just really hit home with me there, Lee, was like, 
the fear part of it. Like I think a lot of coaches, including myself, we're fearful to go out there and do that stuff because you just feel like I don't know what I'm doing in this. And I just want a general base knowledge of like, what do I do? So I don't fail miserably. And when I'm going, and so I, I, I've never thought of it that way, but I think strength, conditioning, quickness, all of the stuff that you're talking about, fear has been one of the motivators for me not moving forward and being really good at this as a coach. I have other talents and skills, but, you know, lacking in this particular area. And a lot of times coaches, at uh you know at high school at middle school we don't have access to that we'll talk about it later in the show how we can get some access to you but sam go ahead with your follow-up well leah i had another question but i want to stick on what you just some things you just mentioned there so we can dial into some some of the details so you know you mentioned like sprinters run from more of an upright position they also to start their first explosive step start from a lower position now, a common coach speak phrase is, you know, the low man wins, the low woman wins. And there's a lot of common myths I want us to unpack in this conversation. But can you just talk about defense? So I do talk about stance discipline, like having discipline as an athlete to stay in a stance. That doesn't mean getting super low. It just means knees slightly bent. You're ready. You're anticipatory. But maybe just unpack for us. If you came in and worked with my team or, or TJ's team and you were teaching defensive um, agility stance, what would you teach? Yeah, yeah. So the first thing you want to do with the players is give them actionable steps that they can say, oh, well, that makes sense. It's like shooting a ball. If I say, well, you know, you don't want your elbow here and you don't want your follow through here. You know, you just want to have good, simple basics. Well, we do the same thing movement wise. So if I'm going to give you a defensive stance, um, kind of a cheat sheet, one thing we have to make sure we that we understand is a full foot contact is better than a less than full foot contact. So if I put a size 10 shoe on the ground, I'm a size 10 shoe. If I put my whole foot on the ground, I've got that much friction to use to my advantage. If I raise my heel off the ground and I get only on the ball of my foot, what happens is now maybe I only have three inches of surface area in contact. Okay, so that's number one. That's called friction. Friction's critical for us to be able to be able to be able to move our body fast and not be uh, less stable. So the more foot contact, the better. Now, how do we make that become biomechanically quicker? I just take my kneecap and I push it forward. So that if I were to look straight down from my kneecap, I should be over my toes. So the shin angle is pointing backwards. What does that do? That takes that size 10 foot and all that friction, even though I have all the foot on the ground, most of the weight is now on the ball of the foot, simply because I told my basketball players, drive your knees forward. Driving the knees forward, do what we call dorsiflexion. Dorsiflexion is a way to make us more elastic. Okay, now the ankle is loaded. It's quick. The only thing it's going to do now is it's going to fire real quick when I push. As where if my shins were vertical in my kneecap, if I looked down and it was right over my ankles, now I'm sitting on my heels and we know we're not going to be very effective there. Even though I've got the same foot contact, I need the foot contact to be towards the ball of the foot. Just push your knees forward, guys. I tell my guy, just, hey, push your knees forward. Get them over. Look down at your kneecaps. You shouldn't see your toes because your kneecaps should be in the way. Secondly, 
how do I access the bigger muscles, the quad, the hamstrings, the glutes, those things, right? Well, I do the same thing. I push my knees forward to get the quads involved. Now, how do I get my hips involved? Just put your shoulders over your knees. So now I look down from my shoulders, I should look at my kneecaps. And then if I look down from my kneecaps, I should see my toes. So there's that nice straight line. So now I'm in a stance that's conducive to quickness and speed because I've loaded the system well. Look, athletes don't need to know the term dorsiflexion and I'm loading posture. shape. What they need to know is you need to be a spring ready to spring into action. And you don't do that by sitting on your heels. You do it by getting towards the ball of the foot. But if I lift my heel up, I just took dorsiflexion away. And now before I push off to shuffle really quick to cut somebody off on a hard hedge, now it takes me longer because I have to drop my heel again to get that stretch and then move. So very simply, get the knees over the toes, shoulders over the knees, find like TJ... You, Sam, and myself all might have different stances because based on our relative strength level, and that's okay. We find where we work best, and then we help the athlete just, you know, find that sweet spot. So we got knees over toes. You got shoulders over knees. But you specifically, you're not trying to put all the weight on your toes. You want your heel, you want the friction of your heel down. Sure. Yes. Yes. It can, it can. And it doesn't have to be very heavy. But when I and where it's going to matter most is when I plant. So if I'm shuffling to my left and you cross over on me and I have to plant real quick to, to go back the other way, the foot contact should be most, if not all of that size 10 foot. But because my knees forward, the, the predominant weight would be over the ball of the foot. Got you. So let's t- take a. Take a high school coach, all right, and obviously we just we don't get it as well as you do. Like we're, we haven't been versed in that, right? So if I'm I'm a high school coach, and two part question here: What am I looking for? Like, what kind of athlete do I want? You know what I mean? Like, what should I be thinking? Like, I want athletes that are, and I don't know the terminology. You give me the terminology. I want athletes that are this, and here are some basic things I should be looking for and doing to make them that type of athlete. Right. Exactly. So if we could, if we could kind of clone some athletes, we definitely wouldn't mind a couple of John Morants, right? Who's what we would call an elastic athlete. He's we're going to throw around the word powerful, right? Powerful would be an example of somebody like Zion Williams, who also has elasticity, but he's he's known as a powerful athlete, right? He's very, very powerful. Uh, ja, um, the early Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook, those are very elastic athletes. They don't have to bend very deep. They just they touch the ground and it's like they were put on a catapult and they're gone really, really quick. So how do we develop that? Well, we want to train them to be very elastic through basic stuff like jump roping, quick line jumps. Um, if you have happen to have like a low couple sets of low boxes, maybe three, four, five inches, or you could use some low bleachers or whatever where we jump on and off very quickly. Or maybe we have two partners hold a jump rope six inches off the ground and the third partner jumps back and forth over that. What we've done in all of those is we've kept the athlete very high, slight knee bend, 
but we've, we've allowed them to be very quick on and off the ground. That's training their nervous system to react quickly. So now when I need to change directions or I need to hesitate on a, on a dribble, maybe I'm, you know, I'm doing even a, a, like a heavy step into a real quick move. Well, to have that elasticity, I have to be able to turn the nervous system on fast. Well, how do you do that? You train it. That's why we jump rope. That's why we do these line drills. You got to train at these really high speeds, but you got to be taller in your stance. Now, I'm going to need to sit down. I'm going to need to change directions where I'm going to need a little bit more power. How do we do that? Well, now we start to bend our knees a little bit more. Maybe we grab a medicine ball and we do some medicine ball throws from this defensive stance. That requires a little bit more ballistic or power um, determinants, all right? Those are things that are going to help me be able to create force pretty fast, but still use some strength. So when I have, like I've coached because of my daughters, who both, you know, my daughters, I used to be a, a boys basketball coach, but when I went into the girls, immediately what I saw were uh, athletes that needed more strength, more power and more elasticity. So what we just talked about was what I did with them. Jump roping routine, line jumps to give them the elasticity, medicine ball throws, shuffling with a medicine ball in their hand. Now they develop power. But what it did is it allowed them to stay in that athletic stance the whole time while they're developing these things of power. So coaches don't, the weight room is important. It really is. But if you don't have one, you can still develop your athletes with things like a medicine ball or maybe a band and some jump rope. You can do a lot of things like that. Lee, let's move into the weight room for a second. And when you're building – I think all coaches want bigger, stronger, faster players. Uh, one mistake is I think it's a one – like I, I would think you – tell me if you disagree, but it's a year-round development. You have to be committed year-round to it to see the – to maximize the development. But going in the weight room, just share with us maybe what, what are your three to five – maybe it's not limited to that number. What exercise are like – yeah – Athletes need to do this and they need to start at this age. And this needs to be weekly weight room commitment doing these exercises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would say number one is they have to be able to squat because that's the universal movement human beings have to have, right? To be functional as a human being, let alone a basketball player, we've got to be able to squat. So a squat could be a body weight exercise. It could be a kettlebell or what we call a goblet squat where we hold it like we're drinking from a goblet um, and, we, and we squat down. But here's why that's important for these coaches to understand why they have to do it. Because the squat involves the foot action being able to use a proper, what we call pronation where the foot drops in and using the arch. We have to be able to have dorsiflexion of that ankle. We have to be able to control the descent. When I land off a jump, I don't want to collapse into the ground. So I have to build the strength of my quads to slow my body down. Now to get up really quick, come out of that squat, I need my glutes, my quads, my hamstrings, uh, my lower leg, my back, my erectors of my back. All those get developed with a squat. And there's many, many variations of it. It doesn't matter if you use a bar, or a front squat, a back squat, or whatever you want to use, bands. Squatting is critical. The other one is bending. Bending would be more along the lines of a deadlift or what we call our RDL, where the knees are already bent to a slight degree, 
But then everything comes from the hip because what that does is we really focus on the health of the back, the hip, the hamstrings, helps to prevent some, some issues. So if we can squat and we can hinge, we're going to be pretty functional at that lower body into the spine area. Now, from there, doesn't matter the exercise we choose, but I'll give you some examples. We need to be able to push and pull both vertically and horizontally. So what's a horizontal push? A push-up, a bench press, you know, tubing press away from my chest. What's a horizontal pull? A row. I just grab some bands and I pull it towards my chest. That gives me the strength in my upper back my shoulders to be able to take contact, to be able to hold my posture throughout the day. So that's why young kids need to do it, right? The pushing action gives me the same thing, that strength in the shoulders. We have muscles in our ribs, we call them serratus. That's really important to keep my shoulder blade healthy so I can move my arm all over the place and defensively I can take hits and still have a good strong shoulder. And then vertically, we need to be able to do that. Like I love versions of pull-ups or pull-downs. We can use assisted pull-ups and pull-downs. Um, and then and then pressing overhead creates a really good awareness of balance. So when I press something above my head, I'm shifting and balancing and my feet are working like crazy in my shins. Well, that's really important to learn, not to mention it's going to give me good strength in my shoulders. So there's like four or five exercises right there. If we do those and then we just add variation and here's how you add variation very simply because coaches start to panic like, well, what else do I do? I could go double arm one week. Next week, I could go single arm. I could go double leg one week. I could go single leg next week. So we take all those exercises, go double with one week, single with the next, and just keep alternating. Now you got a nice program, keeps variety, keeps the kids fresh, and it develops what we need athletically is both unilateral, which is one-sided, or bilateral, which would be both-sided. We need them both, so we might as well train them both. Lee, so we talked about, and you give really good practical things to do for speed really practical things to do for strength. One of the things that stuck with me and I has stuck with my players and it's been passed down. Um, and I don't remember the terminology exactly used, but like kind of unlocking the hinges, maybe when we talked about kind of getting the ankles and the knees and, you know, all of that, and you can correct my terminology, but that's almost like the pre to actually get to getting going. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of warming up or priming the body a little bit? Yeah, yeah, right. So if we want to look at it in a basketball stance uh, or in a basketball context, so if, if I want to shoot a nice pure jump shot from any kind of depth, if I shoot five feet, I don't need my legs necessarily. I'm, most players are strong enough. But if I'm going to have to use my legs when if I want to go down and up, I have to have access to the ankles. I have to have access to the hips, the quads, all that. Well, why not prepare those? So doing simple things like backwards walking while I'm down in a, in a semi squat. So if I just bend my knees, squat down a little bit, almost like a cornerback. Think of a cornerback in football up in tough, you know, tough defensive technique. If I bend my, my ankles and my knees and I take steps backwards, what I'm doing is I'm giving range of motion in the toe joint, in the ankle joint, and I'm turning on my quadriceps, which protect that. 
and um, starting to get the Achilles tendon aware of movement. Once I do that, the body says, oh, okay, this feels good. I can do that. Now the ankle all of a sudden has more range of motion. And all we did was walk backwards from the baseline to half court, and we're going to feel better just from that alone. Now, a couple other things we can do real simple is I could get the athletes up to the wall, tell them to get in half kneeling. So maybe I put my left knee on the ground, maybe I put it on a sweatshirt or something so I don't hurt my kneecap. Put my other toe, my right toe, right against the wall. Keep my heel down, drive my knee to touch the wall. If I can't do that, I'm probably going to make that athlete every day they come into practice. Their corrective exercise is to give me ankle ankle range of motion exercises, just what we're doing. I should have all my athletes be able to be two to three inches away from the wall with their heel down and their knees should be able to touch the wall. That is your defensive stance position. That's your catch off a jump shot, bending your knees going up and you're protecting that Achilles tendon and that ankle joint. So we just simply, and here's the cool thing, the exercise is the correction too. That's the test, it's the correction. So so if I'm doing these wall exercises to test my range of motion, well, I'm gonna do the wall exercise to give me more range of motion. But we always start them off with the back pedal and then we do those wall things if we need to. And there's several others, but TJ, the minute I have that great range of, of the effective range of motion, it's not always great, especially in basketball players, but if I have effective and efficient range of motion, I can get in the right stances. It's, it's harder for me to get beat because I bend over too much at the waist because I can't bend at the ankle. If I can't bend at the ankle and I have to get lower, what do I do? I bend over at the waist. Now we look like we're a bad defensive player. So ankle range of motion protects us, but it also makes us in a better, put us in a better position. And that was so eye-opening help for my guys. I, 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 we still do that when you talk about the getting the knee to the wall. I also remember you putting a little bit of a board underneath their heels to help them be able to to get deeper in their squat. And all of those things allowed them to see, wow, I could get a lot more range of motion. I could get a lot more explosive. And and uh, th- those types of things, those light bulbs go on with athletes when they see those kind of things happen. And, and next, I would just ask you this is uh, the hips. Like as far as the hips are related, do we over – hype that or talk about that as far as like change of direction defensively like is how important is that or does that come when the ankles and knees are unlocked usually the hips are unlocked or is that a another part to it no it's definitely another part to it so if if when we talk about injuries happening a lot of times it's going to be the ankle or it's going to be the hip when we don't have access to internal and external rotation at the hip. So what does that look like? Imagine I'm in a defensive stance and I take both knees and I try to touch them together. That's internal rotation, okay? If I don't have that ability to do that, even a little bit, my low back takes the stress. My, that's when you get these tall, lanky players who lack hip range of motion. All of a sudden, their SI joint and their lumbar, their lumbar spine starts to act up on them. And we have other muscles in there that get a little bit tight. It's because they have to get the range of motion through their back or the pelvis over tilts 
versus just being able to get the femur, the thigh bone to move, that that can move. So no, we definitely don't want to underemphasize the importance of that good range of motion and strength and stability within the hip joint. We want to take care of that. And just like doing those backward walks, I could literally have my athletes sitting down on a bench with their feet about shoulder width and try to touch their knees together 10 times in a row. That's internal rotation. It's that easy. They could be doing that pre-game talk while you're talking. They're just trying to get their range of motion there. And then at least starts to get some fluidity in the joint. Lee, so much good stuff. I wish we could go for two hours today. Uh, really appreciate you sharing all this. So, you know, part of being a good coach is being a good solution provider, right? Well, to provide a solution, you got to identify the right problems. What are maybe some rapid fire here? What are some common mistakes, common assumptions made by coaches as it relates to agility, speed, strength? Yeah, yeah, really, really good. So movement wise, and this is this is in all our alleys right here. This is basketball related, but it transcends all sport, but we see it more in basketball. So let's say we talk about lateral movement. One of the biggest myths that I've had to try to overcome with coaches and get them to understand is when I shuffle laterally and I'm shuffling pretty hard, I'm going fast and I'm trying to cut somebody off, my front leg actually needs to open up. So the toe is going to point kind of in that direction. And if that occurs, I'm going to actually be pulling my body with my front heel as I'm pushing my backside leg. So if you watch a defender move laterally, a really good defender, they they put, so if I'm going to my right, I push hard with my left, my body starts moving that way. As that's occurring, my front leg opens up, my heel touches and I start pulling. Well, there's a biomechanical reason for that. And it's because I wanna use my big strong muscles like my hamstrings and my glutes versus my smaller muscles like the, you know, the hip, the, the uh, you know, the adductors of the hip, pectineus, those little muscles that I don't want to get those two involved. So that's one thing. We have to be okay with that front foot opening and tell and not keep telling them to keep the foot straight because the foot will immediately turn straight the minute I'm going to change direction. That's a reactive fight or flight mechanism. That won't, that's never an issue. The other thing is we talk about this thing called a false step. So coaches can't stand when they see an athlete where it looks like they step back before they go forward. That, again, is our central nervous system uh, writing ourselves, balance-wise, writing ourselves to be able to accelerate quickly and taking advantage of that elasticity. If we try to take off from a parallel stance when we have most of our mass directly over our feet, that's really hard to move. So number two is allow the athletes to reposition their feet to move quickly because that's a form of elastic energy and that's what makes them move quicker. And then lastly, if we are talking about things in the weight room, and this is going to go a little bit below like the college level, this is going in below high school. We're talking about these younger kids. Younger kids need to start, well, whether you call it strength training or lifting weights or whatever, for several reasons. Number one, it's a skill. 
Okay, let's learn it early so that when they become in high school and maybe they have a coach that wants to lift with them, they already know the patterns. Number two, we need their tensile strength of their tissues to start adapting to the stress. We need their joints, their proprioceptors, everything to say, hey, I've been there, done that. I know what I'm doing. I've done that with all my kids, my three children. And and it served them really, really well. And and the, the other thing is we're always so worried about growth plates and all this stuff, which is I mean, I would have to put 500 pounds on a young kid to actually hurt their growth weight, which nobody would do. There's actually starting to be more research now that's showing that when these young kids get exposed to this stress, they're seeing some younger kids actually grow a little bit more because the stress on the bone and on the tissues creates a response. That's what stress does. We respond to it. And some kids are actually growing older than their older siblings because they started lifting younger than them. And we're starting to see that. So don't be afraid of that. Uh, don't be afraid to let their open their foot open up. And certainly don't be afraid to let their feet reposition. If you get those three things, you're going to start to develop some really uh, robust young athletes. Yeah, Lee, I want to, I want to unpack just briefly that. Well, my first takeaway, my first takeaway is that when my sixth and fifth grader come home today, we're going to the squat rack right away. <laughs> I want them to get bigger. There you go. <laughs> um, but the other two, so just to be clear, you know, the negative step thing, like Dwayne Wade used to always do that, right? He would push back and then explode forward. I think that's what we're referring to, correct? Okay. And then the defensive stance thing you're talking about where you open your toe, that would the, – the opposite, the counter to it is this whole defensive slide thing. Hey, we got it like, – that we did, you know, coaches did on in third grade. So it's not like – keeping your toes forward and we're sliding you got to turn the hips turn the toe and and go right that's what we're talking about yeah okay. yeah exactly so yeah so when we talk about like what Dwayne Wade and anybody takes up there's a re- those are those are things you don't even have to coach so the reason we bring them up is because the myth is that we think we have to teach it no it's going to happen if the athlete provides enough force and that force quickly enough you're going to see that repositioning which I call a plyo step or in that shuffle, the front foot opens because biomechanically, what they're trying to do is access stronger muscles. And from a central nervous standpoint, that's how we escape or attack in in moments of stress. So I, if I have to escape from you or attack, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to open that front foot so that I can accelerate. But because basketball tells me sometimes I have to shuffle and not run, we're going to make sure we use those techniques. So it's pretty much the nervous system. And I want to mention one more thing, if if, if this is okay. Um, when we talked kind of at the beginning, we were talking about um, you know how athletes start to develop and the in the in the ways that they learn different skills, and we as coaches. How many tremendous players do you think there are at Rutgers Park or maybe out in Oakland at the park that have never had a coach, have never made it to college or level just because they just for other reasons, but are tremendous, tremendous players. And what they did is they learned from the older players. They established their movements and their skills and all by watching, by storing memories and then trying it on the court the next day, realizing it's getting better, but still not good enough. And they kept doing it. That's exposure to stress, to task, and then it's accomplishing it. And that's why I said at the beginning, we as coaches have to take away the fear and realize we're going to develop anyway. 
We just have to guide them, give them the give them the access to resources and things like that. But even if we don't, they're still going to keep developing. That's what humans do. And so if we take that to a basketball standpoint or a performance standpoint, we just have to not make the big mistake, get too big of an ego. And we just have to guide them. And then the more we know about mechanics, we can improve. So I think that's important for people to understand. We're going to develop. It's just the exposure that we get is to, depending on how big we develop. Yeah, that's really good. Two two quick ones for you here, Lee. Um, defensive stance, is there a preference like how wide your legs are apart? I know I see some defenders that they almost seem too wide to be able to push off, some too close. Like what what are you looking for to be explosive in your defensive stance there? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So um, if I'm just guard, let's say I'm in front of you and you're dribbling, you haven't caught, you're not catching and shooting, you're dribbling the ball, so I'm guarding you. I want to make sure my feet are probably about a, two to three inches wider than my shoulders, roughly. That's a good start. Might be wider for some, might be a little bit more narrow for others, but roughly in that range. And the other critical part is I want to make sure my knees are slightly inside that. Because what's my biggest responsibility is it's that lateral quick push off. Even if I have to open my hips, I'm still moving laterally. So I want to make sure that my feet are wide enough so I have an angle to push down and away to move the opposite direction. So if I'm in a stance that my feet are wide enough where if you look at the side of my knee, and you look at my thigh, we should be pretty close to 45 degree angle at that knee. Okay. And some a little bit deeper. Muggsy Bogues played much deeper, right? He, he could because he didn't have a lot of levers there as where uh, if Scotty Pippen got in a defensive stance, he didn't get as low because his levers were different, right? But both of them moved pretty well defensively. So that width of your stance is going to be relative to how strong that athlete is and how quick they are. But if we're two to three inches, four inches, maybe you're going to be in a pretty good position to move laterally. Last one. That's that's really helpful. I think that's real practical. I think you see so many different defensive stances. The one thing we didn't cover, and obviously we could go for hours and hours to cover all of this stuff. And we're going to tell people how to how to get more info here in just a second. But Anything specific for the general, you know, middle school, high school, college athlete just on recovery, like just some some things that you just highly recommend that they do that are practical for them to do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll tell you one thing that I don't think enough people do. And I think this is this is important to be able to throw in there. So let's say we just had a good long practice or or uh, they came in the next day from a game. I think moving in all directions at submaximal speeds is really important to help the recovery of the tissues, the joints, because every time we walk, we step, we run, or we jog at a low level, what we're doing is we're creating a hydraulic position within the joints and it moves fluid, especially all the junk that gets built up after a hard game. So things like uh, running forward, running backward, shuffling sideways, you know, running and doing a 180 turn, just easy stuff like that. Just move. That kind of helps to hydrate the joints and the muscles because we get moving. That's, that helps the, the healing process. Number two is, and I know kids hate hearing this, and believe my kids hate, my son who's 14, hours on them, but now is they've got to sleep. They've got to rest. And Athletes don't understand the importance of it because 
all the good work you guys do in practice, and I'm not just talking about the physical work, talking about the mental input, gets rearranged and stored during sleep. When we sleep, we get rid of what we don't need and we store what was important to us. If we are not getting great sleep because we're, you know, five minutes before we go to bed, we're on a computer or something that's giving us bad light, that helps us, or doesn't help us to restore as well. So good sleep, good clean room, dark, that stuff really helps. And then the last thing is just good solid nutrition. Good whole foods uh, supplements have a place, right? If you need them, certain things like I encourage young kids to have magnesium because it helps them sleep and go to the bathroom in the morning, and which is healthy for their digestive system. But if they're at least getting really good whole food, I mean, milk, they like milk if they can drink it, if they meats, you know, good meats and things of that nature, if they can, if they can handle that, but just enough good food that helps them restore their body and their tissues and their joints and everything. So those things are just easy for everybody to do really. And, and they're pretty much a staple. Well, Lee, that's a ton of knowledge and a little 30, 35 minute uh, opportunity for coaches to be able to grow. But obviously, and if they're like myself, they probably want to go deeper and learn more as well. So can you just let our listeners know what's the best place to find you if they want to go deeper? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I'm honored to be able to talk with you guys. Um, if they go to anything at Lee Taft, um, they're going to pretty much find me social media. I try to share stuff close to every day just so I can just kind of share what I learned over the years. And, and hopefully more than anything is I like conversations. I like when people comment on my stuff so we can have a conversation. Um, so if they go to anything at Lee Taft, they'll find me. Um, if they want to learn more about any products, they can go to LeeTaft.com. Or if they're specifically in basketball, which is I'm sure most of your population, they can go to basketballspeedspecialist.com. And what we did there is we, we created a resource to help the communication side of skill work, especially from the defensive side. So if I say to my, you know, we're all very comfortable telling an athlete how to move offensively, like how to do a drop step in the post or a spin move or this. Defensively, we don't do that. So we develop simple words like a snap shuffle or a waddle on drop coverage or it's word. The minute I say it, even in this rec league, I'm coaching kids who haven't even played basketball before. And I say, hey, use a snap shuffle. Once we practice it, they get it. They understand why now, because the words mean something to them. And that's what this product is about. And I'm trying to help coaches have better communication with their athletes and the athletes back to the coaches. That's super. Well, you need to go check out at Lee Taft and, and any social media that you're on and go check out the website as well, because I think you clearly heard there in that episode that there is a lot of growth opportunities for all of us. I kept hearing for myself, I can get better. I can get better. I can get better. So Lee, my friend, it's always good to see you. We're thankful for what you're doing to serve athletes all over the world. And I really appreciate you taking time to be on with us today. Uh, thank you, both of you, all three of you, really. And this is an honor. And I appreciate what you guys are doing to help the world of basketball and, and just overall, you know, people becoming better people. So thank you. Awesome. Well, hey, he is Sam Allen. I am TJ Rosine, and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. Don't forget the PGC Basketball Summer Camp schedule is out now. Go to pgcbasketball.com and get you and your players signed up while there are still spots available. 
That's pgcbasketball.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.